show begins now. Eli Sussman with you today, the managing editor of Fish Stripes and the usual host of the flagship show on the Fish Stripes podcast. For years, we've been calling that show Fish Bites, but a rebrand has been long overdue. So moving forward, pretty much every week, Marlins fans can tune in for a new episode of the official show. Official. Get it? Fish? The topic that's top of mind right now, MLB free agency. The signing period opens on Sunday afternoon, and we're recording this on Monday afternoon, where for the moment there are 181 major league free agents available. Unfortunately, we expect that number to grow later this month as the non-tender deadline approaches more teams cutting costs on viable players due to concerns about their revenues. Uh, the Marlins got involved in free agency last winter. They made some incremental improvements to the roster, several of which paid big dividends once the shortened season progressed. But to be honest, we're three plus years into the tenure of new team ownership, and we're still awaiting that big splash. So this episode will evaluate all the veteran players who kind of fit into that category, who qualify as being a big splash that you can envision being with the Marlins through the primes of their careers and being contributors to what we hope are contenders year in and year out. Making his debut with me on the pod, it's Fishstripe's intern, Daniel Rodriguez. You ready to spend some fake money on good baseball players, Daniel? Eli, I've been worried my whole life to spend some fake money on the Marlins. I think this is going to be great. I think it's probably the most important offseason for the Marlins, not only um, a year after winning the playoffs, but also trying to get a general manager also for the Marlins. I think this is going to be a great offseason, and I'm ready to start the O. Official podcast. Yeah, it's going to be, that's the first order of business, as you mentioned, is the Marlins part ways with Michael Hill as their president of baseball ops uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and still no specific word on uh, who's going to replace him, whether they're going to even go outside the organization to replace him, who, if anybody's been interviewed for that, they're still a little while away. And to be honest, this is probably going to be a slow developing offseason around the league. Mm-hmm. Every team really like, figuring out how they want to deal with revenue losses last year related to the pandemic. And we don't know exactly how much the Marlins are going to spend. I did want to dedicate most of the show to look at the guys that are those cornerstone type players. Uh, This pod is going to go up right in time for election day. Hopefully everybody out there has voted and played your part in this democracy. And when we're voting for the president of the United States, we're giving that person a four year term and that's kind of the figure that I had in mind with these type of top free agents available. It's not a loaded free agent class at the very top, but it does yeah. have some good depth to it. And if you look at the top 10 or 11 guys that we're going to get into, those are the ones that maybe you see a scenario where it takes three, four, five year deals to get that contract clinched and to make sure they don't go to any of the top rivals that the Marlins have. So that, those are the players we're going to focus on here because those are the deals that this Marlins team has not made yet in terms of committing long-term to one player with the idea that player is going to be uh, right in the middle of everything. They've done a good job rebuilding the organization at the lower levels. A lot of players that have a lot of years of team control and great raw tools. But if you actually envision this team being a postseason contender next year and then sustainably year after year after year, you need some guys that have already been there already have done that and already can continue doing that moving forward based on how we're projecting it all. So I already, I sent you some of the names that we already have that uh, I think most experts would agree are the top players available based on their recent track record and based on what they're projected to do moving forward. I need to give a tip of the hat to John Becker, J-O-N Becker, uh, who is a pretty avid follower of all things baseball media. And he's the one that has combined a lot of these rankings across the web to, to see uh, who those consensus top free agents available are. Out of those 181, we're just going to focus on a couple handful at the very top of the rankings. And the first name I wanted to start with was one that is the most familiar to our listeners, our Marlins fans, Marcel Ozuna. L- last year with Braves, a-, a lot of playing time as their DH, also in the corner outfield mm-hmm. spots. And he was amazing right in the middle of that MVP conversation, led the National League in home runs and RPIs. I believe, and um, just an outstanding year for him. 
He was a free agent last year, but was weighed down by the qualifying offer. This year, he doesn't have a qualifying offer attached to him. And one, uh, I guess, one prediction out there from fan graphs, they do a good job at polling all their readers in terms of what they think these guys are going to get is for Marcelo Zuna, the average contract prediction for him comes in at around four years, $75 million. And uh, for a lot of these other players in the class, it's slightly above that, slightly below that, but four years, $75 million, which is about uh, four times the commitment the Marlins made last year to Corey Dickerson. But we know last year this Marlins offense was inconsistent. The lineup didn't necessarily have great depth to it. So when I put that name out there, Marcelo Zuna, a guy who's about to turn 30 years old, uh, the one guy that the Marlins organization knows very, very well because he was signed and developed by the team. How how do you see that fit potentially playing out in terms of whether that's something the team can afford and uh, whether he necessarily is a big step forward for them if they sign him? I think if the Marlins do sign Marcelo Zuna, it will be it, the first thing it will do is bring an instant star to the Marlins, which the Marlins are always trying to look for a new star, a new starter. Uh, he, I think he worked really well with uh, Starling Marte, another big option that the Marlins got last year in the, in the trade. Um, also, for Ozuna, they're really looking at him, giving him like a really prediction with the Red Sox. So the Marlins will try to be in that in that conversation to try to get Ozuna, as you said, batted 338, 18 home runs, 56 RBIs. So he will just bring instant power which the Marlins also desperately need, really lacking in the home run department, RBIs, on base percentage, 431, which one of the best in the MLB. And I think Ozuna should be one of the top priorities for the Marlins. As you said, turning 30 years old, so a very young, a very young age for him. I think it'll be a great uh, pickup for the Marlins and for the organization also for the future, maybe giving him around a three-year deal for some um, predictions giving him a three-year, $60 million deal, which would probably be really good for the Marlins situation. I think getting Ozuna would be a top priority for the Marlins. And then he just sweeps it in the strike zone. That is a blast! Way out of here! This ball game is tied! couple of stops along the way around the bases for Marcelo Zuna. A big question weighing over him, and I guess a lot of what the Marlins do is whether there's going to be a DH in the National League or not. I mean, yeah. we had our first taste of it this past year, and the, the trickiness with it is that that's not something that's in the collective bargaining agreement for Major League Baseball right now. They have to do a whole separate negotiation. Otherwise, they got to wait an additional year until after 2021 to put that rule in. And with Ozuna, he's someone that was a gold glove winner in his last season with the Marlins. But otherwise, since then, his his ability to throw the ball, which is pretty important for an outfielder, has, has dropped off a lot. He's tried to compensate with his other skills. Uh, I mean, either way, he's somewhat of a liability out there. Of course, if they have the DH again, which is where he spent most of the 2020 season with the Braves, then it seems like a no-brainer for them to target. But uh, I think for the time being, there's a lot of uncertainty. I, my prediction is that the league and the Players Association work out a deal to add the DH back in because I think that overall, a lot of people viewed that as a positive for the product this year in terms of offense going up, mm -hmm. getting pitchers away from the plate when they're clearly not comfortable swinging the bat anymore. So I'm optimistic that they'll add it for 2021, but we're still not sure about it. And I'm sure that's that's going to be one factor in terms of Ozuna probably waiting a little bit longer than some of these other players to get a deal in, in terms of the National League teams being hesitant to really dive all the way into those negotiations until they know whether or not there's going to be a DH. So he's a guy to keep an eye on, someone that I'm sure is going to have a lot of suitors, especially in the American League. These next two guys I wanted to like bundle together, Marcus Simeon and Didi Gregorius. Uh, Simeon was with Oakland last year and has been for the last handful of years. Didi was in his one and only season with the Phillies in 2020. Both of them played exclusively shortstop. They played nowhere else but shortstop the last five years. Um, 
Simeon was on the short list of best players in, in baseball in 2019, but then had a big drop off this past shortened season. Yeah. Didi was just the opposite. In 2019, he missed a lot of time with Tommy John surgery and didn't play the same when he got back. Signed with the Phillies, took a chance on himself, and produced pretty well. Uh, neither of those guys have the qualifying offer attached to them. The Marlins can just go after them. Um, any other team can do as well without worrying about draft pick compensation. And I think with those guys, because there's a little bit less consistency with their bats, they're probably not likely to get the same length of a deal that someone like an Ozuna will. I think more likely two years, three years for those guys in this kind of market, but the same kind of average value where you're looking at somewhere north of $15 million a year, probably not up to 20, but either way, it would be the highest paid player on the Marlins roster. Um, Yes, I'm wondering what you think of the Marlins' middle infield situation just in general. Is that something that they should be looking to address via free agency? I think it's. I think they should. Um, The first thing that comes to my mind and with the infield is Isan Diaz. Even though both of these guys are are shortstops, Isan has really. I don't want to say underperforming, but he hasn't really lived up to expectations. And we're well, you can say that. Stop, you can I, say he's underperformed. Yeah. I think a lot of people have to admit that. Minor league player of the year in 2019, but uh, the results mm-hmm. haven't been there since he's been called up. It's been really rough for Isan. Um, I also, for an infielder, you have Miguel Rojas. Miguel Rojas half, coming off one of his best seasons of his career, but also with age, going up in age. Out of the two of DD and Marcus Simeon, I would rather go for Marcus Simeon based mostly off his bat, and it'll probably be the cheaper option of the two coming off a, a disappointing season rather than DD, who had probably the best season of his career. I think Marcus gets on base more than DD. It'll cost less, and it'll probably be more of a two year deal, maybe a one year deal to get Marcus, where DD is looking for a long year, a long term option. Where here in New York Post by Ke- Kevin Davidoff, has DD going for three years, $36 million, which might be a little too much for the Marlins, where in Marcus Simeon, they have him going one year, 12 mil. And I think they could probably, the Marlins go for somewhere maybe two year, 24, $26 million. I think the better option would be Marcus, especially coming off in 2019, an MVP caliber year, 33 home runs, 92 RBIs. I think Marcus would be the best option for the fish. Yeah, I'm tempted uh, to show interest in Didi just because he is uh, really among a very small group of players that is so engaging uh, off the field. He's someone that is has a really diverse uh, collection of interests in terms of his personal life. He's very talented in things other than baseball and very engaging on social media. So I think there's something to be said for the marketability of a guy like that and where in, like in contrast, Marcus Simeon and really that whole culture with the Oakland days, they don't like to draw attention to themselves. Uh, but yeah. in terms of just baseball ability, I think I agree with you. Uh, combining the last two years, I think that's the easiest way for me to evaluate some of these guys is combining 2019 and 2020. Uh, Simeon has a 354 on base percentage the last two years and DD at 302, you know, with the caveat that DD was coming off an injury. But that's also important. The fact that Marcus Simeon has a great track record of durability over the past few years. So that makes you confident that going into his thirties, he's at least going to be on the field for you. He's at least going to get on base and he's a sure handed defender as well. So I bet it's again, I think it's going to be curious to see exactly what position those guys would be willing to play, whether they expect Mm -hmm. to be an everyday shortstop or whether uh, Miguel Rojas, who's been, who's a gold glove finalist here uh, this year might be able to stick at short and have one of these guys move over to second. Whereas you said, there's a lot of questions in terms of what they're getting from Isan Diaz or even Jazz Chisholm, uh, that at second base, bringing one of these guys for that would be a pretty big improvement. Uh, Moving to a different position, but the same kind of question, Uh, Masahiro Tanaka has been with the Yankees the last seven years, Uh, a guy that signed a big money deal coming out of Japan, $155 million. And honestly, he came pretty close to living up to that. He's been an above average starter almost every step of the way throughout his career, pitched in some big playoff games and had success there. I mean, that's something that they shouldn't take lightly if you're the Marlins, knowing that that's your expectation to get back to the playoffs, but actually advance in the playoffs too. someone that has had some of his own injury concerns with his elbow uh, a couple of times as an avoided surgery in the past. And he's pitched quite a bit uh, every season, but 
very rarely is there out there for like 30 starts a year. And again, just a consistently really good pitcher, kind of surprising that he didn't get the qualifying offer. So again, as Marlins, uh, We'll get into this a little bit more later with the really big ticket free agents that if the Marlins sign someone who's declined a qualifying offer, they have to give up their second round draft pick next year, which is no, no small penalty involved with that. But Tanaka is another guy that doesn't have that draft pick compensation attached to him. Uh, average contract predictions are in a similar range to these guys you just discussed, maybe a little bit higher for Tanaka, more likely to be three years, 40 to $50 million somewhere in there, uh, considering that there's not quite as much starting pitching depth in this free agent class as in some other positions. Do you think the Marlins are in a position, Daniel, where they should be looking to bring in a veteran starting pitcher, knowing that starting pitching is already a strength of this team, and they have so many guys who just got major league experience last year or are right on the cusp of breaking through, do they need to be making a big financial commitment to stabilize their rotation? I think when it comes to starting pitching, there are other options in this free agency class that are maybe more appealing than Tanaka. Tanaka turning 30, 32 years old, coming off a three-and-a-half ERA season. Last year, the year before that, 4.45, career ERA of 3.7. So he's consistent in where he's going to be under four, but also in the playoffs, including this year, he's struggled majorly, having a 12-point. 3-8 ERA, which is just insane, an insane number to have. I think Tanako, I don't think he'll really fit with the Marlins, and especially with their going, with all these young guys who are under 30 years old, under 28 years old when it comes to them. And if they do assign them, I see Tanaka maybe fitting into maybe the third pitcher, maybe second if he pitches well in spring training. But I don't think Tanaka will be a great fit for the Marlins at all. I mean, the one thing that he's done pretty consistently in his career is he throws strikes. He doesn't walk anybody. Um, and mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, honestly, the profile overall is pretty similar to me to someone like Pablo Lopez. Pablo Lopez obviously has a much shorter track record in the majors, but in terms mm -hmm. of guys that pound the zone, that get a lot of their swings and misses with their with a changeup for Pablo Lopez. Uh, the signature pitch for Tanaka is actually a splitter that has a similar kind of action to it. And I mean, again, the postseason experience is something that re really would appeal to me. And I think it is yeah. worth mentioning with any guy that has a, a big connection to the Yankees that the Marlins front office at all levels is is filled <laughs> with former Yankee disciples. And I mean, I mean, it starts with Derek Jeter, the CEO, who's a former teammate of Tanaka. They played, I think, just that one year together in 2014, right at the end of Jeter's career. So not as strong a connection as he might have with some of his other teammates, but also with the other talent evaluators in the Marlins organization. Those guys, they know Tanaka well. They may have been part of bringing Tanaka to New York in the first place. And if not, they had a pretty up-close look. So I, I wouldn't say that necessarily that makes him a more likely fit, but uh, I guess the, the Marlins would know him better than anybody else. So I think it could go one of two ways, one where they show no interest of him because they know some of the concerns with him, uh, with his durability, his sometimes vulnerability to giving up home runs, or maybe they see some things really particular with him where they believe he'll, he'll age really gracefully deep into his career. Uh, it's going to be a big question. I mean, just in general, I, I'm someone that believes they do have to get somebody, whether it's free agent or trade, some veteran pitcher that has logged like a full major league season before because outside of Sandy you look at every, all everybody else that they have lined up in this rotation competition these aren't guys that have pitched a full major league season before you simply don't know whether or not they they have the durability to handle that and be consistent from April through September and October so that'll be a big unknown but I'll get to some of those alternatives later because I agree that he's probably not the most uh, ideal fit for what's going on with them. Uh, I mean, you did allude to the fact that even if their pitching could use some more help, it's not necessarily starting pitching, uh, referring to the fact yeah. that they could use a lot of help in terms of the bullpen and what they have coming out of there. They declined the option they had on Brandon Kinsler that leaves their closers role pretty wide open right now. And honestly, even some of the guys setting up for that potential closer are ones that uh, have relatively short track records 
there were a lot of games last year that turned very ugly and hurt their overall bullpen stats, even if they did have a few bright spots in the middle of it. Uh, the biggest reliever on the market this offseason is going to be Liam Hendricks. And someone that, just like Marcus Simeon coming out of Oakland, uh, I mean, we complain enough as people following the Marlins that their individual players don't get the kind of love they should get on a national level. But uh, Liam, Liam Hendricks is like probably the golden example of that across all of baseball. He's someone that I think it's hard to argue that he's been the best reliever in baseball the last two seasons combined. 100%. Combining 2019 and 2020, 110 innings, 99 games pitched with a 179 ERA and no, just as good in fielder independent pitching, just off the charts success doing everything it takes that to get out in the most highest leverage situations. And just like someone like Tanaka, he got a lot of postseason experience the last couple of years pitching for a good, consistent A's team. Uh, contract predictions for him, uh, it's a little tough to say. I mean, historically, we've seen some relievers get as many as five years, but that seems to be uh, a lot of those deals did not age well. And even the Marlins, the, the one time in their history where they went three years or more for a reliever, that was Heath Bell, and people still have nightmares about that and how, how that's his jersey. Over. Don't remind me. You weren't alone. You weren't alone. It, it made some sense on paper, and then almost as soon as it actually played out in real life, it turn to disaster so your thoughts on Liam Hendricks because if they're going to improve the bullpen a lot of relievers on the market but he seems to be the one top target probably the most expensive one on the market too this is my favorite player in the whole free agency class I think Liam Hendricks is probably the best closer one of the best relief relief men in the game I think the Mar this should be the Marlins top priority him and the catcher Liam Hendricks last year, or I should say this year, 1.78 ERA, 14 out of 15 saves, a 0.67 whip. He is easily one of the best closers, 31 years old. So it will probably be in the range of maybe three years, four, four years at the most, but I don't really see them giving him four years. Some projections do give him a two-year, $24 million deal, which would be perfect for the Marlins. I think having Liam would just would make the Marlins just bullpen just top-notch. He would be the ace of the bullpen. I think Liam Hendricks is the best relief pitcher in free agency and probably the best free aid, the best closer in baseball. I think Liam Hendricks is the top priority for the Marlins. Last two seasons, his ERA is 1.80 or lower. Just, that's just insane. Like a couple of years before that, it was around four ERA. But in the last two seasons around one, I think Liam Hendricks is a perfect trick for the Marlins and the organization. Well, what makes him a little bit tricky is because he's not that conventional stud reliever in terms of his total career yeah. trajectory. It took him a while to reach this place. Yeah. And he wasn't someone mm -hmm. that was even on people's radars a few years ago. It took him a while to necessarily to specify as a reliever. I mean, he had some, he had some previous teams that tried him in different roles and yeah, it didn't translate the same way. He didn't. He didn't even look like a, a big swing and miss guy earlier in his career. Like the profile has completely changed too. So that's what makes it. You now have back to back years where he's been incredible. Everything before that though was a lot different, and that's probably what's going to make him. There is some risk. I mean, with any reliever that you sign, there is some risk. And with him, yeah. it's that he has that very unusual backgrounds, but you, you really can't argue with the results the last two years. So yeah, for me, it's an automatic guy for them to pursue if they somehow can get him for only two guaranteed years. Uh, I have a feeling yeah. he's someone that will push for a third year just because of how just inarguably successful he's been. Uh, and in the playoffs, the things that I love to see is how he really stretched his limits. He's not a guy that's limited to one inning at a time. I think he went as many as 50 pitches in one of those postseason outings when his team didn't trust anybody else. And uh, you love to see that, that his competitiveness yeah. and that his competitiveness, especially in his free agent year, this is his one big opportunity to get a payday. And you wouldn't blame a guy for being a little bit protective of their health and trying to be very cautious about that. And uh, he threw all that out the window in order to help his team win. So a guy that I definitely have in mind as well. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're going to switch over very shortly to the guys that received qualifying offers. The one other that was somewhat of a surprising player that didn't actually have a qualifying offer extended to him was outfielder Michael Brantley, who the last two years with the Houston Astros has been incredible. Uh, for most of the four or five years before that with the Indians, he'd been an extremely consistent hitter as well. I mean, he's a guy that when you think of a professional hitter, he's kind of top of mind uh, earlier in his career. He was an amazing all around player, both offensively and defensively at this stage of his career, kind of like Ozuna, a corner outfielder who you just, who just mashes the ball against everybody plays every single day a little bit older than I think all the players that we've discussed so far. He's the oldest one pretty deep into his thirties at this point. And for that reason, he wouldn't be getting the same kind of contract length as these other guys that we've already discussed, but just someone that is an extremely consistent hitter and above all other priorities. That's the one thing the Marlins are looking for kind of regardless of position is guys that just crush the ball. So the last two years combined from him hitting a 309 batting average, 370 on base, 497 slugging. And he once he got to the playoffs too, he was a pretty big part of that Astros lineup. He's not the first name that comes to mind when you think of the Astros. Uh, but thankfully, he he arrived there after the, the cheating, the supposed cheating seasons. So he wasn't caught up in all that controversy. Uh, but someone that is just such a consistent hitter. So we'll go back to you again. He's a guy that is, as I said, older than these other players that we've discussed. Yeah. But is he someone that you see as a potential fit? And what would you be comfortable spending on somebody like him? I think some for Michael Brantley. I think personally, he probably should have accepted the qualifying offer because he probably get less than what the qualifying offer is for for players. The qualifying is around eighteen million dollars. Some predictions for Brantley have him around twenty four million dollars, but over the course of two years, which I think would be pretty good for the Marlins. I don't think I don't think you should give Michael Brantley three years, four years. He's thirty three years old. I think giving him maybe a one year, two year deal would be best. Don't really overspend for someone like Michael Brantley. If you want maybe some more twenty million over two years, see if he accepts it. I wouldn't go overboard for him. But he did have a great season last year, hitting three hundred, as you said, professional hitter. His career his career average is two ninety-seven, which I think would be perfect for the Marlins, having someone like Michael Brantley, especially with leadership with all those years in Cleveland going to the World Series, being in a championship team like the Houston Astros. I think when you have someone with his leadership, his career hitting, I think you have to go over to get someone like Michael Brantley, but I really wouldn't go overboard. There are all their better outfielders in this class to get besides Michael Brantley, but if you cannot get guys maybe like George Springer, another Houston Astro, and Marcel Zuna, I think Michael Brantley would be a great fit for the Marlins if you can't get someone like Springer or like Azuna. Well, well from here, we're going to transition to – uh, the real top tier guys in this free agent class yeah. and what distinguishes them is that they've all been offered that qualifying offer $18.9 million for a year. Um, the one that we won't really go into is Kevin Gossman with the giants, because I think he's pretty likely to accept that qualifying offer, unlikely to hit oh, the yeah. open market. Someone with a very mixed track record who has amazing pure stuff, but someone that I don't think is necessarily going to get to that market. And we've already mentioned uh, how the Marlins are going to be pretty reluctant to spend big on starting pitching. Uh, the other five players, the ones that were tendered these qualifying offers, uh, JT Real Muto from the Phillies, Trevor Bauer from the Reds, George Springer from the Astros, DJ LeMahieu from the Yankees, and Marcus Stroman from the Mets. And uh, we're going to start with the one that our listeners are most familiar with, JT Real Muto, who has at this point emerged as the consensus best catcher in Major League Baseball. Mm -hmm. he, he, he sort of emerged like that a couple of years ago with the Marlins, but then as soon as they trade him to the Phillies, he has been on that same level. He's been just consistently great 
all around offensively, defensively, someone that runs the bases better than almost any other catcher in the game. Uh, I mean, the offense on its own won't blow you away. Uh, it's better than league average, but only about 12 to 15% better than league average. Someone that's not going to hit 300, someone that's not going to get on base a ton, but he has hit for a little bit more power since that trade to the Phillies. And uh, also over those last two seasons combined, 13 stolen bases, which is a very high total for any catcher out there. And the durability really stands out as well. I mean, especially during 2019 with the Phillies, I think he was far and away the leader in games caught across Major League Baseball. This year, he had that end of the season disrupted by a minor hip issue. And I think that's something that could drag down his payday a little bit. The fact that um, you look at other catchers that have gotten these really big commitments in the past, um, what stands out most are Joe Maurer and Buster Posey. He's not quite at that same level, but he's only maybe a half tier below them. And those are guys that midway through these big contracts, all of a sudden they either can't stay on the field or you're not comfortable playing them at catcher all the time. He's someone that turns 30 years old in March. And technically that's for most positions, that's right in the prime of your career. But for catcher, the aging curve looks a little bit different. Uh, the, the expectations for his contract are kind of all over the map. There was yeah. reports a couple of weeks ago about him hoping to reach $200 million. Oof. But the behavior that we've seen across the league since then, in terms of how teams handled uh, all yeah. these players on options and the, all the surprising decisions to cut costs wherever possible, it makes it it makes it impossible to believe that he's going to reach 200 million, but at the very least, he's someone that I, I think more than just about um, any player we've discussed already. He's someone that I think will get somewhat of a long-term deal, whether it be four years, five, maybe six years. And for someone at his level that expects to be the highest paid catcher in the game, that's going to go North of a hundred million dollars. So he's someone that uh, I, I, for all that I said about him and, the risk involved and the commitment involved and the fact that the Marlins would have to sacrifice their 2021 second round draft pick. All that said, the Marlins, one of their biggest questions is the catcher position. So from that standpoint, he seems to be a great fit in terms of the team building side of it. Well, like I said before about, you know, other ones about other positions that Marlins need, this is the one that they need the most catcher. Hoyar Farrell has not really been what the Marlins have hoped for. You have to bring in Chai Wallach, a guy who's someone who's hitting around 200, left in 200 for Jorge Alfaro. It's not really the best news for the Marlins. JT Romito, easily the best catcher in baseball, has had some of his best years right now in Philly. If you include both of the last two seasons, he's hit around 36 home runs in over 180 games, which is really insane to look at for a catcher, especially in this era, hitting over 30 home runs. His average is, is around 280 for his career, which is really good. But I'd love to see the irony him coming in, playing with Alfaro, the guy the Marlins traded for, him coming back. Predictions for him go around four years, $100 million, especially now with the revenue cutting costs. It's not really looking likely for some players. I think when you have some of these players, you should take the qualifying offer, go into free agency another year when you have more money inside the revenue be able to get that $200 million contract, $150 million compared to just $100 million now. I think the Marlins should go after him, but it's really hard to discuss when you have that so much money on just one position where the Marlins desperately need help in other positions like relief pitching and outfielder. But I think JT should come to Miami. I think it would be a great decision for him, but he loves Miami. As you can see, maybe he, on Twitter, he kind of likes Miami's post. I don't know if you've seen that. He likes, like, some uh, posts talking about Miami. But yeah. uh, I think JT should come to Miami. I think it would be a great fit. But it just all depends on JT and the money. Four years, $100 million will, will be maybe too much for fish. There are some breadcrumbs out there about a possible connection. I mean, the one that I dug up – uh, a couple weeks ago, right when the Marlins were finishing their postseason run, is that Craig Mish, uh, one of our favorite insiders covering the Marlins, he was hosting a, a post-game stream after one of the playoff games, and JT 
it showed that he tuned into the stream. It showed that his account was watching that post-game live stream. I don't think there's anything to that. He, uh, Mish has a personal relationship with JT, and I think that has more to do with it than actually being interested in the Marlins commentary or anything like that. There's going to be so much competition for him. That's going to be the key, is oh, that yeah. even though a lot of those projections have been adjusted, as you said, only four years and $100 million, my expectation is it's still going to go higher than that uh, just because of all the teams that need a catcher as well, aside from the Marlins. I mean, I'm not comfortable with what the Marlins situation is at. And I mean, personally, I think there's a lot of trade candidates out there that they're going to consider to address that. But the vast majority of major league teams just don't know exactly what they're going to get from their catcher moving forward. And I mean, the one big suitor that has uh, emerged, uh, at least uh, hypothetically, is the New York Mets who haven't had much catcher production at all the last few years and their new owner, Steve Cohen, just officially acquired the team that they'll be unafraid to improve, especially if it keeps them away from a division rival in the Phillies and it keeps them away from a division rival in the Marlins. At the same time, I think that's an extra incentive for the Marlins to take it seriously because it works the same way. The teams that they're playing for almost half of their schedule want this same player. He fits for almost every team. And if you think at the end of the day that the Phillies and the Mets are going to be two of the most aggressive teams for him, then not only do you add this kind of talent back into your organization, but it blocks him from going to an opponent that you play the most often. Uh, I think above everything else, it would just be so satisfying to have him and Sixto Sanchez on the roster together, knowing that Sixto was the guy that they acquired in the trade for Real Muto, trading him away in the first place. That would be uh, – the Marlins already got the last laugh when – from that deal as long as the Phillies don't re-sign him. But yeah, it'd be so satisfying to have him and Sixto playing in the same games, you know, starting playoff games together. And that'd be great. That'd just be really satisfying. I think even forget about the dollars and cents of it and whether or not it makes sense, whether it's efficient enough for this team. Yeah, it would just be such a popular move and such an enjoyable move to have him on the team. Um, I think a lot of fans agree with that. Easily, JT, one of the best, probably one of the best catchers in, in team history. Easily the best catcher in baseball. I think JT would just make so many people happy coming back to Miami, just especially with the Marlins have gone through over the last uh, couple years. Now making the playoffs, you know, JT seeing the Marlins make the playoffs and not the Phillies, especially when the Phillies got Bryce Harper. They had all these big expectations getting Joel Girardi. Maybe JT probably now would like to come to Miami. Seeing that, okay, this is a playoff team. They they have Sixto Sanchez, Sandy Alcantara. They're they're going to need help with catcher position. I think JT would be a great fit in Miami, and I'll welcome his return. I'll be the first one greeting him at the airport if he does choose to come to Miami. The two other players that I mentioned briefly before (laughs) that are that are kind of in uh, the discussion with him for the top free agent available are George Springer, the Astros outfielder, and Trevor Bauer. Most recently, the Reds, we expect Trevor Bauer is going to be the reigning NL Cy Young winner. And I think with both of those yeah. guys, we, we think as unlikely as JT is, those probably seem even more like uh, un, un, like just probably not even worth discussing just because there's going to be a lot of competition and because the price is going to be so high and because you still have that draft pick factor and because they're at positions where the Marlins already feel sort of comfortable with themselves. but. I, I think you already mentioned that you're a big fan of Springer and how just forgetting whether he's in center field or left field, the, the bat alone and his postseason track record makes him a great fit, a guy that's been so consistent. Uh, for me, I, I think Trevor Bauer is just worth a little bit of a thought just because he's a guy that has been so durable as a pitcher. Uh, he hasn't been super consistent with his effectiveness. He had that big breakout year in 2018. And then of course this year, he took it to another step forward during the shortened season. Uh, but above all that else, he just, he, the only like high profile injury he had in his career. I don't know if you remember this. It was during the, the playoff run with Indians in 2017 when he had an accident with a homemade drone that he had at home that he was playing around yes, with like during an off incident. day. Yes, yeah. And he like, he, he cut his finger and they thought they like uh, healed it up. They thought they patched it up correctly. And then as soon as he got on the mound to start a playoff game, the fingers started bleeding again. And 
it was so bad that he like I think he only made it through that first inning, or maybe he didn't even complete that first inning. That I, it's just never been anything quite like that, where a player had a playoff game disrupted by a non-baseball injury, and it made such a big. They were able to win that series anyway. Um, but that being said, he's someone that for all actually baseball related activities, he has such a great track record of actually being on the mound every fifth day. And aside from Sandy Alcantara, all these other rotation candidates that the Marlins have, they just simply have not been through a full length major league season before Pablo Lopez, great breakout year in 2020, but he has a couple instances of shoulder injuries in his recent history. Eliezer Hernandez has shown really nice flashes the last two years he had a lat strain this most recent year, and he's had several related injuries in the previous couple of years, too. Uh, with Sixto Sanchez, one of the reasons why he was available to the Marlins in the first place is because of concerns about his elbow. And even though he hasn't had injuries this year, the Marlins have been pretty clear that they're uh, conservative with his workload. And you don't know how much that's going to change next year. Uh, I mean, the Marlins, uh, I think it's a pretty big hint that uh, Don Mattingly, speaking to the media a couple weeks ago, he did not commit to 6-0 as part of the opening day rotation. And I don't think that has anything to do with his talent. I think it more so hints at a plan to limit his workload at the start of the year so that he's available down the stretch in the major leagues. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of these great arms, uh, Trevor Rogers and Braxton Garrett and Edward Cabrera and just all these guys. They haven't had to pitch 150, 180 innings in a single season before. Uh, so where, just where do you stand on that principle in general? I don't think it's going to be Bauer, as I said, just because of the price yeah. involved. But in terms of just bringing in, being sure to invest somewhat in a veteran pitcher that you know that has proven that they can handle a full major league workload. So as, as exciting as we are about all these arms coming up through the pipeline, uh, there is something to be said about having one spot in your rotation locked down by someone who's been there and done that before. I think the perfect example for that coming off a World Series appearance would be Charlie Morton. He does hit a little bit up there in age, but it would bring a lot of experience. He'll be the leader of the clubhouse, of the pitching guy, of the pitching rotation. All the starters will look up to him, look up for advice, what to do maybe in the playoffs. He does have the World Series experience, not only postseason. He is up there in age where he's like, I believe, let me see, 36, turning 37 years old. So definitely not a long-term deal, like three years. One-year deal, two-year deal, around $20 million over the course of those years. I think Charlie Morton will be a great fit for the Marlins. And going back to Trevor Bauer, I think when you have the top free agent, you always have to you always have to talk to the top free agent, see where their head is at, see what they're looking like in the, their price tag. I think you always have to talk to the biggest guy in free agency. And with Trevor Bauer, he's all over the place. He's a very eccentric guy that we've seen on social media. He says he'll sign anywhere as long as the price tag is big enough for him and the predictions have him going $150 million over six years, which I don't think the Marlins really want to put that much of a price tag. And especially those years for someone who's turning 30 years old, he, he will be probably the Cy Young, but there's also some inconsistencies with Trevor Bauer, especially last year, having almost a five ERA, and three years before that, three years consecutively, I should say, having a four-year RA, I think Trevor Bauer shouldn't really be a focus for the Marlins. Someone maybe like a Garrett Richards, a Charlie Morton, who have that playing experience. They're in their 30s, so you don't really have to give them such a long-term deal. Will be great fit for the Marlins for the pitching rotation, maybe in the three-hole, two. Definitely not an ace, but definitely as maybe the second, third guy in the rotation. Eli Sussman here with Daniel Rodriguez here on the official show, breaking down all these free agent possibilities. And we're pretty far along here. Um, went, went through all the big guns that are really top of mind as we look through this class overall. But, uh, but now it's time that we can pivot to some of the ones that we think are more realistic, ones that aren't going to necessarily be in the market for long-term deals or super expensive ones, but uh, guys that fit with this team one way or another um, that we feel pretty confident about. And I mean, while we're on the topic of starting pitching, I might as well give you one of mine, which is someone that has fallen below the radar pretty quickly 
but it's Jake Odorizzi of the Twins, no. who has now yes. been in the majors parts of one, two, three, four, nine years. Uh, but despite that, he is still in his early 30s, I think heading into his age 31 season. And he fell off the radar because he barely pitched this year, only four starts, ERA of six and a half, um, a lost year for him. It was because of an injury, but not the injuries that you worry about long-term, like coming out of the start of season, an intercostal strain, then a chest contusion, and then a, a blister on his pitching hand that prevented him from taking the mound. So, I mean, for those reasons, he barely got involved at all. But before 2020, he was one of these guys that, as I alluded to with Bauer, someone that is 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 there for you. He's there for you on the mound every yeah. time. He had six straight seasons of at least 28 starts, uh, at least 140 innings, maxing out at 188 innings back in 2016 with the Rays, with the Rays, and then with the Twins. And last year at this time, he was he was someone that was extended that qualifying offer, and he's one of the few guys that accepted it and played this year on a one-year deal, uh, and that. It backfired for him, of course, because now he got hurt and that really tanked his value. But he's someone that throws a decent amount of strikes and he took a nice step forward in 2019 in terms of actually missing bats. He had uh, the highest strikeout rate of his career, struck out 27% of batters, ERA of three and a half for that Twins rotation. And I, I like him a lot just because of the way he, that track record, and also the way he thinks about the game. He's someone that is very analytical, someone somewhat like Trevor Bauer, but he's not, he's not obnoxious about it. I think his personality fit is a little bit better for this Marlins clubhouse. And we know that's something that the Marlins take seriously is their culture and uh, every, everybody pulling in the same direction. He's someone that is yeah, very inquisitive and someone that was also very helpful to his teammates in terms of help getting the best out of them. So he's, he's never been a, a superstar. I think he had just one year as an, as an all-star that was in 2019, but nobody would confuse him with an ace of the rotation. He wouldn't necessarily uh, like out, like push Sandy Alcantara out of that role, but you could still be a valuable member of uh, pitching staff just by, yeah, by taking the mounds every fifth day and by providing a lot of innings, because as we've mentioned, the relief pitching for this Marlins team seems to be a bit of a soft spot. I mean, one way to help those guys and put them in a position to succeed is have starting pitching that's consistently working deep into the game and giving you a good chance to win. Uh, so I'll be very interested to see what his market looks like. If there's any way they can get him on a one-year deal, I I think the Marlins should be at the top of the market for that. I, I think they that would be an excellent fit. Um, we'll see if, if other teams notice what I notice, the fact that his arm seems to be completely intact. And if they're not worried about his durability moving forward, then maybe it would take a somewhat of a medium-range two-year deal to get it done. But uh, he, he's a guy I definitely have my eye on as his free agent period starts. Got him. Off speed pitch for a strikeout. And a 1 2 3 fifth for Jake Odorizzi. And strikeout of Prado, two away. Strikeout number five for Odorizzi. And I know you have a few players in mind that you think fit pretty well and are more realistic than some of the players we've already mentioned before. Well, I'm going to think about right now my four guys that I think the Marlins should sign very cheap contracts all these guys each of them less than 30 million dollars the first one James McCann I personally think he's a top five catcher JT may be just too much money for the Marlins over 100 million dollars when you have someone like McCann over three years had uh, a great season last year would be a great fit for the Marlins last year what he had with the White Sox. He'll be a good fit. You know, him with Alfaro, with Wallach, as an everyday catcher for the Marlins. James McCoy will just be, I think, great uh, coming off a 289 average, old, uh, on base percentage of 360. I think James McCoy would be great fit. They have him going right here at New York Post, three years, $27 million, which is way less than JT. I think McCoy would be a great fit. Second, I have Tommy LaStella. Tommy LaStella, infielder. They have him two years, $14 million, which I think is a very deep contract for the Marlins. Tommy LaStella, a very good fit. I think he'll be great for us, great for the Marlins. Help with the infielder, infield situation, like we mentioned before, with 
Isan Diaz, who has just really been struggling ever since being called up, where he opted out and then opted back in. That was just a really crazy situation for the Marlins. But Tommy Lestella, I think, would be really great for the Marlins, having a 281 average and the year before that a 295 with the Los Angeles Angels. I think Lestella would be great. And then here are the two guys who may be a little up there in age, will be great for the Marlins, maybe for experience. The first would be Brett Gardner, who still hits, still gets on base, and will be very cheap, even though he's 37 years old. About one year, $5 million is what predictions have Brett Gardner going for. And then secondly, shortstop altered on Simmons, two years, $24 million. His defense slowed last season, but he's still one of the best defensive shortstops in the in the major leagues. And I think he'd be a great fit for the Marlins. The Marlins, and I also altered on, he had a great hitting season last year. I could see that right now. Really great. But it, but, but with altered on, it's mainly about his defensive um, skills, which the Marlins do have with Miguel Rojas. But you can either shift him to second base or keep him at shortstop. But those are my four guys the Marlins should target, all of them under $30 million. James McCann, Tommy Lasella, Entredon Simmons, and Brett Gardner. Yeah, I definitely with Lasella, we're on the same page. Someone that really strong on base skills the last couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I imagine that this price is going to be relatively low just because he hasn't really been viewed yeah. as an everyday player. And I think even with the Marlins, he wouldn't be an everyday player either, but someone that definitely trust starting in the lineup almost every day against right-handed pitching. And they had pretty inconsistent results with that last year. Um, so I, that, that's one I could definitely get behind with, with Brett Gardner. He's had an extraordinary career. And to this point, yeah. he hasn't had that big drop off. You just don't know when it's going to come for a guy that's now getting into his late thirties. Uh, but as with anybody else, um, as with anybody else coming with the Yankee connection, he's going to get real consideration because everybody mm-hmm. in the Marlins front office uh, has a lot of experience directly with him. And of course, with Jeter, he's someone that played parts of seven seasons alongside Brett Gardner. So he knows him about as well as anybody. Uh, my guess is that he's going to wind up being a career Yankee and he's going to either get a re-sign with them or end up walking away. Um, if that doesn't happen, though, I, I'd have to say that the Marlins might be the next most logical fit for him, uh, especially also being a guy that swings from the left side and, and hits for a lot of power against right-handed pitching. And also with the Marlins, the fact that especially in the outfield, that's where they have opportunities to contribute for that. Matt Joyce coming off the team and with Corey Dickerson, you don't know exactly what to expect from him next year. So even though you'd like to have him penciled in for a big role and a big bounce back, uh, you want to have alternatives on the roster that can help with that. So that's another one that uh, I can see the potential fit. I I just worry about anybody with that age because Marlins have been burned by that a yeah. couple times now with, with Curtis Granderson a couple of years ago, Granderson had a great career mm-hmm. and it just, all of a sudden it just wasn't there. It, he just wasn't able to provide the kind of offense that you want. And he became a defensive liability. Uh, that stuff can disappear pretty uh, unexpectedly, even for guys that have had great careers. And of course with Matt Joyce last year, it was the same kind of, at, at certain times, Matt Joyce was a critical piece of the team, but he really faded as the year went on and uh, wasn't quite at the top of his game as well. So that's something they're going to be pretty reluctant about. <sighs> Is there anybody else that comes to mind with me when it comes to this class? It's There's just going to be so many players available, oh. so many familiar faces. D. Gordon is finally yeah. at the end of his contract. Um, someone that – I mean, he's going to come – He's someone that his stock is lower than anybody else that we've discussed. He's someone that might end up having to sell for a minor league deal, but for a Marlins team that has put a a premium on being able to run the bases, he's a guy that still seemingly at heading into his age 33 season. He's someone that still moves uh, extremely well and someone that has a lot of versatility. I mean, they taught him to play the outfield with the Mariners his past few years. So that's a level of versatility that he didn't have when he was an all-star with the Marlins. Of course, uh, someone that we don't have any fond memories of uh, over a very brief stint with the Marlins earlier this year, Jonathan VR is a free agent. 
I, I remember yeah. it wasn't that long ago. It was just a few months ago. People thinking uh, that not only was VR a great acquisition for the team, but if he had a great year, the Marlins could give him the qualifying offer and they could hold on to him for an extra year. I mean, there was some momentum even before he played an official game to try to keep him around uh, beyond 2020. And then once he actually took the field, it was a big step down for where he was the previous year. He's another guy that his stock is way down and uh, it's, it's not going to take much to, to bring him in uh, for this Marlins team. And someone that's been really popular, um, at least in terms of what I've seen on Twitter, people bring to my attention that I kind of disagree with is Kike Hernandez, who has yes, he, he very quickly has a, a nice track record of postseason production, very timely home runs in the World Series, um, both this year and in 2018 and 2017. I mean, he's someone that has had a lot of big moments in the playoffs on both sides of the ball. And he mashes left-handed pitching. He's relatively young for this free agent class. Um, uh, well, I guess I'll, I'll go over to you first before we wrap this up. I'm someone that's relatively low on that fit with bringing Kike back, being a guy that was Marlin for about a minute. He, he had a very brief experience with the Marlins before going to the <laughs> Dodgers. Um, what do you think about that potential fit, though? I think Kike would be a pretty a pretty good fit for the Marlins. Obviously, he won't be an everyday player. He's there to be someone that you come in and then he hits, not hits, but plays 162 games, 140 games. But like, I think it'll be about the role, about the same role that he has with the Dodgers, where he's a spot starter, comes in, will will hit a lot, especially with his average the last couple of years, around 230, 250. His great best year is 250 in 2018. Minter on two and two, the eighth pitch to Hernandez. There's a fly ball to left field. It's well hit, and Kike Hernandez with a pinch hit home run has just tied the score at three. The eighth pitch. Hernandez hits it out. We've got a new game. I think it'll be a pretty good fit for the Marlins. Obviously, it won't be it won't be expensive. It'll probably be around at least maybe five million dollars for a year. Two years, maybe twelve million, will be a be a better contract for the Marlins. But I think Kiki should be a great pickup. He's he's not that old. Let me see. He's around twenty nine years old. I think it would be another good fit for the Marlins. And other other guys also, I, I was also looking at that could be relatively cheap, especially if they do bring in the DH. I have to get your opinion on this. What do you think about Yoni Cespedes and Puig? Uh, I was at this time a year ago. I was the conductor of the Yasiel Puig to Miami train. I was all bored on that. Uh, I, I loved, I thought he was a great target coming off a kind of down year. And I got so excited when they reportedly had a meeting with him at the winter meetings last year and then uh, made an offer, but nothing materialized from there. Uh, I mean, just to make sure our audience is caught up on that, Puig uh, didn't end up playing any regular season games last year. Um, he was unsigned all the way into summer camp. And then the Braves, um, they had an opening in their outfield, and when they were trying to bring him in, he tested positive for COVID, and that derailed everything. He had to sit out for a couple of weeks. Uh, by the time he was cleared to return, they got Nick Markakis back into the fold. Markakis had opted out of the season and then opted back in, and no other team uh, was able to put it together. Uh, so he's a complicated one where he missed this full year of activity. Last time we saw him with the Cleveland Indians, he wasn't hitting for power, which is very strange for someone that yeah. um, he's someone that's still living publicly. So you can still keep up with him. He's someone that still works out. Someone that is, he, he looks the part of a big power hitting outfielder, but that simply hasn't been his track record the last couple of years. And now you have this part of what's supposed to be the prime of his career that didn't get to take advantage of. All that being said, he's still relatively young for the free agent class. I, I think for the right deal, it makes sense. At this point, it would definitely be a one-year deal. I think the hang-up at this time a year ago is that he was expecting something more long-term. But now he doesn't have any leverage, unfortunately, for him. Yeah. So I, I still see that being something that could potentially work. It would take – you might have to schedule some sort of private workout with him. To Again, you haven't seen him actually playing organized baseball activities in a long time. So they'd have to be very diligent with that process. And uh, there are a lot of people within the industry that continue to really try to uh, criticize the way that he conducts himself off the field and in the clubhouse. I, I've always thought that stuff was mm -hmm. kind of overblown. Uh, 
he he's, does have a little bit more of a connection to the Marlins and other teams because he Don Mattingly was his manager with the Dodgers for several years. It's it's a tricky one. I I think I, I still I don't want to walk back what I said this time a year ago. I still think he has a lot to offer, and the Marlins still have some of the same concerns with the corner outfield spots that they had at this time a year ago. So I think uh, for the right fit, he could be in there, but it'd be hard to trust him as a true everyday player at coming off of an entire missed year uh, with, with Cespedes. I with Cespedes, I really don't want to entertain that conversation. Uh, <laughs> someone that's, he's a few years older. And I think most importantly is the kind of injuries that he's been through. Um, yeah. He hasn't, he's barely played the last two and a half years. And for people that weren't paying close attention, he did start this season with the Mets. In fact, the Mets, thought enough of him that he was batting in the middle of their lineup at least a few times a week at the start of the year. And then he very abruptly opted out of the season, which he has every right to do, but it was uh, that whole situation is very awkward and it wasn't communicated very well between him and the team. Uh, They let it play out in public in a way that was kind of embarrassing. Um, uh, So you don't know how much to put on him and how much to put on the Mets for just being a dysfunctional organization that that likes to bring embarrassment upon themselves. (laughs) at least under the old ownership they did. But with, with him, it's even a longer layoff since the last time he's been good. And I, I think there's a lot of pessimism about him being able to even play the outfield. He's someone, a guy that is yeah. just, to me, is just a glorified pinch hitter at this point of his career. So I, I don't have anything against him personally. I think it's the same. It's with pretty much any player. I think that the price is right is if they're not looking for a big commitment, um, then you can make it work. But for him, he's simply a, a guy you invite to spring training on a minor league deal. I, I don't see much of a difference, frankly, between Cespedes and what Matt Kemp was for the, for the Marlins last year. With, with that, they had Matt Kemp, former MVP, great career, but he was a couple of years removed from the best point of his career. He rededicated himself to his health and fitness entering 2019 so they decided to you know give it a shot and see what he had left in the tank and then he reported to camp they weren't satisfied with what he looked like they let him go he ended up playing a lot this year with the Rockies and had some good moments but you look at the overall production that he had with the Rockies and it was it just wasn't worth much and that's kind of how I feel with with Cespedes is best case scenario he he's able to make it through the season as a part-time player but I don't think the upside is there anymore so, so I, I'm I'm sorry to burst your bubble on him, but I'm glad you brought up I'm glad you brought up uh, Yasiel Puig because he's I think someone Puig that I still have a soft could spot be for. Be pretty good for us, especially if you look at his last season with uh, with Cleveland when he got traded from Cincinnati to Cleveland. He played around 49 games, which is just like on the 2020 season. So I kind of like I kind of look at that season and compare it to 2020 as if for that year. He hit 297 three. 377 on base percentage, 423 slugging, two home runs, 23 RBIs. I think it was a really good season for for Puig. And if he could bring something like that production to the Marlins, especially with the DH, if they bring DH to NL, I think it'll be at least worth an invite to to spring training, like you said. But Puig hopefully gets everything figured out and see what the Marlins could do about Puig if they want to bring him in or at least entertain him. Left center field. He knows well. Big league Puig. Yasiel Puig takes the grand tour. Number 15. Two run job here in the eighth. And I think just to close out with this, in this whole free agent conversation, it does help that the Marlins are coming off this really successful year. I mean, you weren't able to necessarily see that fan excitement in person because the fans weren't in the building themselves, yeah. but the fan base is so much more optimistic than they used to be. And I think we'll see exactly what the conditions are like in 2021 in terms of having fans in there, in terms of um, what what the whole community is like. But this is a, a much better time than at any other point in the rebuild for a free agent to, to come in here and feel appreciated and also get an opportunity to contribute to a winning team. I mean, at the at the end of the day, it's going to come down to dollars and cents. Um, it always helps with the Marlins that they live in a state without income tax. That helps level the playing fields if, if the offers are similar that these players are getting. And uh, I, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. There's a lot of factors to consider, but I think overall the Marlins are a better destination than they have been in the last couple of years. 
uh, there's always been hope that Miami would emerge as one of the best destinations in all of baseball for free agents. They still have a lot of work to do in order to turn themselves into a reliable contender and a lot to prove in terms of treating their players right and like establishing that reputation for being the kind of organization that you want to play for. But they've been moving in the right direction. I think for a lot of the initial criticism that this leadership group got when they took over the team, there's not a lot of evidence that this this group is running it the right way and just trying to check all the boxes that are important in terms of making your players a priority and putting them in a position to be successful. I mean, they got the a guy that we assume, I think, in a couple of weeks' time is going to be the official National League Manager of the Year in Don Mattingly. I think this past year was a great example of him putting all these spare parts and good positions to be successful so that the whole was greater than the sum of their parts. And uh, it's it's a nice place to play when, when things are normal. And coming off the kind of season that they had, I, I think it gets them a seat to the table. And I think that's the most you can ask for for a yeah. team that the past couple of years – where they were not involved with anybody at the top of that list of free agents. And even further down, there were guys that just, if they had a choice between Miami and almost anywhere else, they would go to the place that didn't have the same stigma attached to it. They went to the place that they believed was like firmly in position to win. And the Marlins are finally uh, like on the cusp of being in that kind of conversation where players want to go so that should make it if nothing else it's going to be a fun offseason in, in terms of all the players that they're connected to we'll see how many they actually sign and the kind of amounts that they assign to because you'll be hearing this again and again it's an uncertain time for any sports franchise especially in major league baseball and especially for a relatively small market team like the marlins but it should be even more fun than any of the past couple of years have been coming off a of postseason appearance and with so much financial flexibility in terms of who's actually on the payroll at the moment. So for Eli Sussman and Daniel Rodriguez in uh, the, the podcast formerly known as Fish Bites, now rebranded as the official show, uh, we're going to have plenty more off-season coverage coming for you here on the podcast, on our website, fishstripes.com, uh, on social media as well, at Fish Stripes. And you can follow Daniel himself at drodyyy on Twitter as well. So it's been great having him as, as part of Fish Stripes here and uh, a, a lot of coverage coming. It's going to be a fascinating thing to navigate as free, as free agency is officially underway. So thanks, Daniel, for making the time for this. Thanks, everybody, for listening Thank to this. Thank you for this. having me. And go fish. <laughs>